Welcome, everybody. We're glad you're here. Welcome to Parkview. If you're new, I want to tell you what we got going on here. If you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go uh, online at parkviewcannonball.com and start reading some stories about what God's been doing around here. Cannonball is uh, a new five-week initiative that we started last week to try to help us to figure out how we could take this church into the future. Okay, So if you missed last week, we've got a CD for you. If you want it, go online and watch it. I really want to encourage you to get all five of these weeks put together. Get the devotion book for that. Um, we have this thing available for you right here that kind of outlines all the initiatives, all the things that we're getting ready to do over the next five weeks. And I want to encourage you to get a hold of this. Get in a group if you're not in a group already um, and, and get in this cannonball thing. What is cannonball? Cannonball is us trying to raise our generosity level to make bigger waves at Parkview. OK, I like preaching to this one when it comes to increasing our generosity level, because all you have to do is look around and realize um, we just added 250 more seats in here and look around. I mean, this is this is what's going on. We're trying to think about the future. That's what we always do around here. So this is a two year initiative to raise twenty nine point six million dollars in total over the next two years. You say, well, that 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 sounds crazy. That's exactly the same amount of percentage money that we did in 1997 when three hundred of us pledged a million and a half dollars over a two year period to give towards getting property here in the first place. Do the math. It's the same as four. 14 years later, we believe we can do this. And I mentioned this last week. This is not about one person dropping in a check for $10 million while all the rest of us sit back and go, wow, you made a nice splash. That was really awesome. This is about all of us jumping in off the pool at the same time. We're going to make a bigger way. Okay. We won't treat you any differently, whether it's the widow's might or the $10 million check. It's not going to matter. Doreen may. Because somebody called this week, Doreen's our receptionist, and somebody called this week and they said, hey, I'd like to talk to the head hog at the trough. Doreen said, excuse me? And they said, I want to talk to that, you know, that Southern accent. I want to talk to the head hog at the trough. And she said, I, I'm not sure what you mean. He, he said, I want to talk to the head hog at the trough. She said, if you mean our senior pastor, I think you probably could be a little more respectful than that. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I just was going to drop a check for the cannonball campaign by. And she said, oh, hang on a minute. I think the big pig just walked in. <laughs> All the rest of us should treat you the same, just not Doreen. If you're, uh, if you're new here, welcome to the family. I mean, you might have walked in and gone, why did I get, in my, get myself into? Well, I'll tell you what you got yourself into. We're a pretty awesome, loving family here, and we've got to think about the future, and so that's what we're doing. You walked in to a family discussion. Cannonball is going to be different than what we've ever done before. In the past, we've always like, had our general fund over here, and then we had this special thing that we were going to do. We had a special thing in 97 of raising money for the land, and then in 2004, it was to build this building, and in 2008, it was to finish out this building and do Lockport and do some mission initiatives. And now, and now we're doing more stuff. We're going to add a, a foyer over there uh, with a chapel on top of it, possibly add seating over here and blow that wall out and make this auditorium bigger, uh, add parking. We're going to do uh, all kinds of stuff in Africa. We're going to build a safe house for girls that are caught in the sex lap trafficking trade right here in our area. We're going to do all kinds of great stuff with it. We're going to start a new service at Lockport, all these things. Okay. We're going to do all that, but it's all together. Okay. Because in the past it used to be like, you know, you had this general thing over here and then you had this thing over here. What that means is what we're going to do on November 19th and 20th. That's our commitment weekend weekend before Thanksgiving. Very appropriate. We're going to have cards. We're going to sign a pledge for two years and you're going to put down on there. What your total giving, not just like something else, 
but your total giving. What, that, what that's going to mean for you is that for those of us who've been giving regularly to God's work here at Parkview, gives us an opportunity to go, hey, you know, everything that I give counts. So I'm going to write that down and I'm going to ask God to take away my fear and, and have faith that we can do a little bit more and I'm going to do more. For those of you that don't give regularly, it'll give you a chance to maybe for the first time uh, be a, become a tithing person, become somebody who regularly gives a tithe. I just had a question and answer time, which I'm going to do after the service as well down in the underground. If you've got questions about any of this, just had a Q&A time and one of the ladies goes, I don't even understand what this tithe thing is. I went to a church where we just put money in the offering so we didn't go to hell. Could you explain it to me? Yes, I could. And I I hope you know that that's not what God wants a cheerful giver. That's why we cheer here when it's offering time. If you don't want to give, if you feel like God's trying to get something out of your wallet or I am or somebody, then don't give. That's just ridiculous. Okay. Oh, this is going to mean for you, some of you, for the first time, you're going to be given 10% back to God. You're going to be given tithe. And it all counts. It's all together. And no matter what your pet project is, whether it's the safe house for girls or the, the, the slums of Kenya or the chapel that you were hoping we were going to get built right away. Whatever it is, whatever you're giving towards is going to go to that thing and it's all together. Okay. The big news here is that we're pregnant. Basically, we're always pregnant. I don't know if you don't know the history of this church. Uh, this church was 150 people when my wife and I came uh, 22, almost 22 years ago, January of 1990. Uh, there were 150 people that met here. Okay. And in that in those first years, there were some people who wanted to be about us. And there were some people who wanted to be about out there. And if you don't know who I am, I believe God has called me. I believe God called every church. I believe the church is the only organization that exists for those outside its walls. Okay, membership doesn't have its privileges here. That's another commercial. Membership has responsibilities. Our job is to be about those people that are out there that don't have Jesus. And that was quite a struggle for a while. Here's a graph of the attendance chart. For 1989, we came in 1990, we started growing a little bit there, a little bit here and there, a little bit here and there. We get to 1997, <clears throat> and that's when we realized that, you know, we were, we were double what we were in 1990 or in 1989, so it was time to start thinking about moving because we were on two acres, 10,000 square foot building over there in Tinley Park, and there was no way we were going to be able to reach more people unless we relocated. So we did a massive campaign thing and tried to get people interested in relocating and, and doing generosity like we're doing right now. And we took a vote because we had to take a vote and the, the vote was 56%. Someone pointed out on Saturday night. So after seven years of my beautiful leadership, I got an F plus. Okay, that's pretty much what it was. I got an F plus in support from the congregation. However, we had an A plus support from our eldership and our leaders. And we decided that, you know what, we do want to be the church that exists for those people who aren't here yet. That's who we're going to be. That's the vision of Parkview. That's what's going to drive us. And here's what happened from 1997 to today. Okay, one of the 100 fastest growing churches in the country. Last year, we were the 15th fastest growing church in the entire country. We've had 2,000% growth since that pivotal moment in 1997 to where we are today. So when I tell you we're pregnant, I'm telling you we're pregnant. We're always pregnant. We always need more bedrooms. We always need more places for people to, to sit. And, uh, and, and that's what's been going on, okay? Uh, here's a total picture of the attendance graph all the way through. Um, and you know, i got to tell you one thing, okay? Wednesday night, we had 160 people in our What We Believe class. 
That's bigger. I know. Way to go, you guys. That's awesome. That's bigger than the whole church was in 1990 in one night, one what we believe class. That's what's going on. What that's meant is a lot of vision. It's meant a lot of faith. It's meant a lot of sacrifice for a lot of people. And uh, that's looking back. Now, looking forward, it tells me two things. Number one, it better continue because the world is pregnant. Okay, here's a picture of the world population. This is what's going on in the world. And that yellow stripe there is where we live between 1950 and 2050. That's the stripe we live in. And the population is going like that this week. As a matter of fact, on Monday night, the U.N. is predicting on Monday night, Halloween night. This is so weird. On Halloween night around midnight is when they project the seven billionth baby will be born on the planet. I don't know if it'll be Damien or what, but, you know, I mean, it's a little freaky, isn't it? They're even asking hospitals to have like a token child, a token seven seven billionth child that's going to be born on Monday night. Isn't that crazy? In the middle of this thing, as I was talking about it, seven billion sometime this week will be born. Now, I went back and I looked up. I mean, because I remember four billion. I remember five billion. I remember six. Do you know when I was born in 1961? The population of our planet was just a little over 3 billion people. And from the time I was born until now, the, the, the world has almost doubled. So we better get busy because there's a lot of people out there that need Jesus. And that, and, 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 and that kind of freaks me out because that's our responsibility. The second thing that it tells me is that a growing church needs more and more commitment from their members. And I know some of you are like, oh, it's a big church. They don't need me. No, that's not true. If it's a big church and it's growing, it needs you more than ever before. In 1997, there were 300 of us who committed ourselves to buying this property. And, and like I said, we, we committed to raising about a million and a half dollars, which is about the same for 300 people as 6,000 people doing $30 million right now. Okay, and it's 14 years later. And we asked God to just bless us and use us and make us a conduit so that we could buy this property. Here's a picture of Lonnie Cahay on a lawnmower mowing right where you're sitting right now. Uh, I mean, we all had to do double duty back then, so we got a riding lawnmower that Lonnie could even operate. That's what we did, okay? And, and, and we prayed for it, and God brought us this property, and we moved into that building over there that now the whole building is our children's space. In 2004, there were 1,500 of us who pledged about five and a half or $6 million over a, a three-year period to, to be able to build this building. And we put the money together, and we started digging on this building. And in 2006, we moved in. And in 2008, we realized, you know what? We're still pregnant. We're still growing. So we did, a time, we did the great investment in 2008, and we finished our children's space, and we added Lockport, and we finished our student space, and we added parking, and we did some mission ventures, and we did some other things along the way. And from the beginning... Beginning of 2008, we have grown 54%. So what I'm thinking at this point is maybe we ought to look three years ahead and try to figure out what 54 more percent would look like if we're trying to figure out how 9,000 people might want to come and find Jesus at Parkview, and we better start planning for it right now. So here we are. For many of you, let me, let me do this again. How many of you came since 2008? Raise your hand. Hey, look at that. Okay. Um, for many of you, uh, I want to say it's your turn, okay? It's your turn to help us figure out what's going on. I have two deeply held theological convictions about doing church and about how our money relates to it. Number one is God is the owner of everything and he's going to bless it and I should trust him. This is my fourth 
fundraising initiative at, at this church, as you heard. 97, 4, 8, and here we are in 11 again. This is my fourth time. Every time we get to one of these things, I always go to our people and I say, Hey, everybody, it's time, man. We're pregnant. We need to, we need to add veterans. We need to do some stuff. I want you to give your biggest ever once-in-a-lifetime gift to Jesus. This is my fourth annual once-in-a-lifetime gift to Jesus coming up, okay? And for uh, several of you, it is the same thing. It's like, okay, here we go again, and I'm going to tell you something. My family and I and a lot of other families in here have sacrificed for you to be able to be here, for you to be watching this on the Internet. We've sacrificed for that. We could have bought better cars. We could have bought a better house. We could have saved for retirement. We could have saved for college or weddings or done a whole lot of other things with that extra money that we've given in those those three previous once-in-a-lifetime gifts. But we thought that you were more important, and that's why you're here. And I will tell you something. I have not missed a dime of any money that I've ever given away to God because God promised that He would make us rich in every way. And He has done that in my life. I look back now and I think, man, I've got a great new son-in-law. All my kids are serving Jesus. I've got plenty of money. I've got, I've got a great marriage. I've got a great job. We've got a great church. And people are finding Jesus. I wouldn't have traded it for the world. Because my theological principle number one is I know I can't outgive God. Now, some of you are going to be like, oh, whatever, you're the preacher. There's somebody that you can't argue with, so I'm going to bring him out right now. I'm going to roll him out. His name is Lonnie. Oh, yeah. That picture of the lawnmower, that was a long time ago. I look younger there. You had dark hair. I had dark hair. You would have to say that, wouldn't you? I know. Hi, I'm Pastor Lonnie. This is my wife, Dawn, and we've been here at Parkview for over 16 years. And we're getting ready to start our fourth giving campaign with Parkview. I'm so excited. I tell you, I, uh, I'm, I'm with Tim. You know, we've done it, and we've done it, and we've done it, and we're going to do it again, and I, we will never look back. We wanted to share our story because I know financially times are tough for many of you. I know that. You see, we grew up in a Christian church where we were taught to give a tithe, 10% of our income, just as another part of our Christian walk. I was working for an insurance company during those first years of marriage, and money was tight. And we did tithe, but not regularly. Then I got really good at insurance. <laughs> Go figure that I can sell anything. But anyway, I got really good, and I was making a great commission, and so we bought a house. And, but our giving dropped off even more. We had good intentions, but somehow there was always something that we needed to buy or repair or replace, and our debt was increasing. I remember us sitting down, well, me sitting down with him I was already sitting to down. talk about tithing. <laughs> You guys got that, didn't you? Okay. To talk about tithing. And I said, I think we should tithe on every paycheck. And Lonnie said... We do. We do. I said, no, I, I mean, when we get paid, we need to write the check. You see, we would write a check, but once a month at the end for the offering, you know, after everything, if we had it. Uh, that's what happens when you don't put God first in your finances. Other things quickly devour whatever you have. 
Solani agreed, and it was scary at first, making that check out before the house payment. But we had made a commitment to give 10% of our income first, before anything else, to the church. And it was hard to trust, but we learned there was always enough to pay the bills. Always. A few years later, I, uh, got, I lost my job. But we continued to tithe off of Don's income even while I was unemployed for six months. Our day, one day we received a letter from our mortgage company and that they were starting foreclosure procedures on our home. But you see, a friend of ours had just asked us two days prior to getting the letter. And he said, do you guys need help catching up with your house payment? How did that happen? God had provided. Then I finally got another job and we paid our friend back as quickly as we could. But throughout my unemployment, there was always just enough to take care of all of our needs. All of our needs. God doesn't always guarantee good times, but he does have a plan. Later I got laid off a second time and at this time it was for eight months. Yet we continued to tithe. But then I got this I then I got a job at this place called Parkview. You guys Yay! know it? <laughs> it was here. I'm awesome. I, I I love it. But when we got ready to move to Illinois and sell our home, there were needed repairs. And so I went to a different friend of mine and I asked him if we could borrow twenty five hundred dollars that we needed for paint and carpet and all those getting ready to sell expenses. You know what I'm talking about. And when we got ready to leave, our Texas church gave us a going away party. And after the party, we went home and started opening up some of those cards that we had received. And when we came to our friend's card who loaned us the money, we opened it. And it said, we love you and are excited about what God is going to do in your new ministry. Then we read, loan, $2,500, paid in full. You want me to go? Sure. He ended up gifting the money to us because he was thankful for how God had blessed him. And he was generous with his blessings. God used him to bless us so that we could move here without that debt. It always brings a tear to my eye because I know that God provided and because we were faithful and he was faithful. We have continued to increase our giving over the years and God is so faithful. He has never failed us and we always put our trust in him. We have lived this financial adventure with God for quite a while and we would never go think about going back on our commitment If you're hesitating, my friends, I want to assure you that God is faithful. It belongs to Him anyway, right? He asks us to trust Him, and we just put a trust Him with just a portion of what He has given us, and then He promises to bless us if we do. Trust me, this is a great deal. Don and I are both in. I'm ready to cannonball. Are you guys?
working out for him, baby. He floated. It was all good. My first theological conviction, and so is theirs, is that you can't outgive God. My second theological conviction is that people are lost without Jesus, and Jesus left me here to do something about it. So I need to keep doing it. This is my picture from the slums. This is the picture uh, from outside the school that we helped build in, in Africa, and I want those gates to come down. That's my second theological conviction. Those are the kids that can't get in. If you, uh, it, you know, we sang just a minute ago, break my heart for what breaks yours. If you don't know what that is, um, I would encourage you to go look at my blog that I did, did Friday, uh, timharlow.com. You can go on, on, on my website because I linked my daughters. My daughter is in Bolivia. Um, she's working with street girls, prostitutes, 15-year-olds that have babies. And, uh, and she's working with a psychologist there because that's what she wants to do with her life. And, and there's some stories in there trying to take these girls back to, to meet their parents that they haven't seen for a while, back to see their parents who thought they were dead. It's heartbreaking. It'll break your heart for what breaks his. That's what we're trying to do something about, okay? I know that some of you think, well, why are we doing this? This doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, here's your scripture. In the present case, Gamaliel said, please leave these men alone, let them go. If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop them. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. I know that, that, that you're scared. I know that you're nervous. I know that on the edge of the high dive is a crazy place to be. Here is our Norman Rockwell print. Okay, I know that. But if this is from God, you don't have anything to fear. God is bigger than our fears. God is going to see us through this, okay? So uh, just to, by way to help you to understand it, here's Mr. Bean on the high dive. Okay? That's what I'm here for. I'm here. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to stomp it. Come on, let's go. Let's make a splash. Let's make this thing happen. My theological conviction is based on, uh, on the fact that I have a job to do. Basically, when I signed up to be a pastor, I signed up to do one of God's franchises, right? I mean, I, I got to do church the way God wanted me to do it. And here's what God told me. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what the church is supposed to be about. We're supposed to reach, raise, and release. We're supposed to reach people for Jesus, raise them up as fully devoted followers, and release them back out to do ministry so we can reach, raise, release again. I signed up for a franchise. If you sign up for a McDonald's franchise, they won't allow you to turn it into a bowling alley that serves tacos, will they? You can only serve what they tell you to serve because it's McDonald's franchise. You can only serve those nasty McRib sandwiches a certain portion of the year, right? Isn't that brilliant? Take the worst. Have you had those? Take the, take the nastiest thing they make and only make it available for a limited time only. And then everybody thinks, oh, this is really cool. You can only do what they tell you to because it's their franchise. Parkview is not my idea. It is a franchise. I didn't come up with this idea. We're supposed to be about the people that aren't here yet. That's who we're supposed to be about. That's the whole point. Jesus even had to do what God wanted. He said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That's what I'm supposed to do. What was his job description? He said, my father's will is this, that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. That's what it's supposed to be about. Okay, that's why I'm here so that everybody can get to heaven so we can bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. So I'm going to take you back to the uh, classic chicken out on the high dive story in the Old Testament. If you've got your Bibles, I'm in uh, Numbers 13. God has led the uh, children of Israel up to the edge of the pl- promised land and told them, hey, I want you to go into the promised land. It's going to be the place. It's your vision. It's your future. 
And they got there and they sent 12 spies in and the 12 spies spent 40 days in there and they came back and they said, well, there's good news and bad news. The good news is the land is awesome. Their grapes, bundle of grapes so big they had to put it on a pole and carry it between two men. There's a land of milk and honey. It was beautiful. The bad news is the people are big. One of the drama queens said, we felt like grasshoppers standing next to them. There's always one in every group, right? Oh, the people are so big. And their cities are well fortified. So here they are on the edge of this thing. And ten of the people are like, oh boy, this is going to be hard. We, we don't think we can do it. I'm not jumping off the dive, high dive. I don't believe that God is going to be able to pull this off. And two of them said, no, let's do it. Numbers 13.30. So Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, come on, let's go. Let's take possession of the land. We can do it. But the men who had gone up from him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, oh, you people, it's tough, man. We're going to die. And it even says in Numbers 14.10, I love this as a leader, the whole assembly talked about stoning them. (laughs) That's what happens sometimes. Let me give you some lessons uh, from standing on the ladder, some lessons from this story about how we march into the promised land, how we can trust God over our fears. I don't know what your fears are today. Maybe it has nothing to do with finances or the economy. Maybe it's something that's going on in your life. Maybe you need to figure out how to trust God more in whatever's going on in your life today. Here's a couple of key principles for you. Number one, you focus on the vision and not the obstacles. I mean, I can't imagine how these people could have seen the Nile turn to blood, seen the plague of frogs, seen manna fall down from heaven, seen water come from a rock, a pillar of fire lead them through the desert at night and a cloud by day, how they could have gone through the Red Sea on dry land with walls of water on both sides and then got up to the next problem in their life, the next challenge in their life and said, oh, well, we can't do this. I mean, I can't imagine how we could look back at at 1997 and see what God did or 2004, 2008, or look at what God has been doing here and not go, well, obviously he's got his hand in this. He's probably going to make everything okay. I think that's what should be pretty easy. But it's not always. Sometimes we start focusing on the obstacles in front of us. 400 years ago, the pilgrims came to this country, came all the way across the ocean to this country. The, the, The first year they established a town. The second year, they elected a town council. The third year, the town council voted to use government funds to build a road five miles into the wilderness. The fourth year, the town took a vote about whether they should impeach the government for uh, misuse of funds. Four years before that, they could see all the way across the ocean. And then four years later, they couldn't see five miles into the wilderness. That's what happens when we get comfortable. That's what happens. It's amazing how easy it is to take our focus off of the vision and put it on the obstacles. Maybe that's what's going on in your life right now. What's going to happen as a part of this cannonball campaign? I mean, there's no way that we could have in 19... Think about this. In 1997, how many of you were here in 1997? Raise your hand. Okay. In 1997, was there any possible way we could have looked forward to 2011 and thought about... Get the numbers on this. 2,000% 2,000% growth from 1997 to 2011. There's no way. There's no way we could have seen 12,000 people showing up for an Easter service. There's, there's no way we could have envisioned this. There's no way we could have seen this. 
But what we've done at every point is we've not looked too far down the front and we've not looked at the obstacles in front of us. We've looked to God and said, God, whatever you want to do is what we're going to do. What's going to happen as a part of this? Well, I'll tell you one thing that's going to happen. We're going to have another campus. Lockport Rocks. They're getting ready to start a third service in February. We need another campus somewhere else. I don't know where it's going to be, but we're going to have one. We're going to have more room on this campus for people to come and, and find refuge from a hurting world. They're going to be able to come and find Jesus. Go on Cannonball, parkviewcannonball.com and read the stories about what God has been doing in people's lives. We're going to have a chapel to do weddings and funerals like we've been wanting to be able to do for a long time. We're going to have parking for your friends. We're going to have a safe house for kids caught in sex slavery. We're going to have new schools in the slums of Nairobi. We're going to have a leadership training center in Cuba for pastors. We're going to have all of these things, all these abilities to do more children's and student ministry and discipleship and all this stuff wrapped up into one. And it's going to glorify God. We started asking people. We've we've been getting little groups of people together to dream about the vision and the future of Parkview. We said, just just put down a, a, a newspaper title you think would be cool as a part of Cannonball. Here's what they put down. OK, newspaper headlines three years from now regarding Parkview's impact. Like number one, world hunger and sex trafficking ends due to Parkview's impact. That'd be an awesome headline, wouldn't it? How about mass baptism in Lake Michigan? (laughs) Not November, but it works. Parkview opens second safe house. 500 people attend Parkview Church in Ireland. We're going to help plant the church in Ireland as a part of this. Tim Harlow stars in Rogaine commercial. I don't know who put that. I don't even think that's funny. I, I don't know. Parkview reaches out to the Muslim community. Parkview fills United Center for Easter service. Pope concedes more Catholics at Parkview than Catholic churches. I'm just reading them. I'm just reading them. I'm just reading them. Exit ramp on Wolf Road. Added thanks to Parkview prayers. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Multi-site campus number five. Kids Connection reaches 2,000 weekly. We reach 1,000 weekly now. Blows my mind. Orland Park changed his name to Orland Park View. (laughs) I'm going to talk to the mayor about that. I like that idea. Park View plants churches all over the world. And, of course, somebody had to put this one, you know. Whatever. Think about what could be. Think about 2,000% growth from now to 14 years from now. I don't know. That doesn't, that, I, I can't even compute that. But God's got big visions and big plans for us. And Joshua and Caleb said, you know what? This is a daunting task in front of us, but we have a very big God. The ten spies said, you know what? We've got a daunting task in front of us, and it's a daunting task in front of us, and I'm afraid. Numbers 14, Joshua and Caleb said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we explored is good, man. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, land flowing with milk and honey, and he's going to give it to us. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. That's what I want to tell you. If you're if you're at this service at 183rd and Wolf Road or at Division and Farrell today, you are a part of a promised land that we did not even know. And we're here and God has more of that. Do not be afraid. Joshua and Caleb trusted God. They had the same fears, but they trusted God. Now, the second thing I would tell you from this story is that you should confront your fears. I think it's okay to confront your fears. Let's just be honest for a minute. Let's talk about some things. I do feel like this little girl going down this slide. (laughs) I feel like that most of the time around here at this point, okay? 
What are some of the giants that are in the land right now? Well, some would say, well, the money giant, that's a lot of money. What if we don't raise the money? You know what? If we don't raise the money, we won't do all the projects. It's really very simple. Our first priority at Lockport is another service and some staff and some tech. Our first priority at the Orland campus is more parking and then a foyer over here with a chapel on top. And if we get the ability to do it, we're going to add seats over here, up to 40% more seating over here. Our first priority is going to be uh, to try to get that safe house started and to, to plant a church in, in our international church plants and our local church plants. And we're going to, we'll do as much as the money comes in. We're not going to borrow more money for this, okay? We're not going to be the U.S. government. We're going to do this as it comes in. We've got this all broken up so that whatever comes in is what we're going to do and we'll be able to do. And if we get more than we need, we'll be able to do more because God is exceedingly abundantly more than we could possibly ask or imagine. I don't know how it's all going to work. We'll figure that out. What about the economy? I read the scripture last week. God said, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. You cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Only God knows the future. I don't know what's going to happen. I know it's uncertain. You know, we had people in our last campaign who made pledges and they weren't able to fulfill them because they lost their jobs. They lost their businesses. You know what? That's you and God's deal. You know, that's that's you let God deal with it. And if it doesn't happen, God's got a plan and we let him worry about it. Corey Ten Boom said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. That's all I can tell you. What about the leadership giant? I know some of you are like, well, Tim, what if you die? Thank you. What if you have an affair? Then I die. It's the same thing. What if somebody steals money from the church? What if we find out Lonnie's on crack and that's why he's smiling all the time? You don't know. Let me, here's what I want to tell you. The leadership of this church has been around for a really long time, okay? I've been here 22 years. Hey, again, let me, let me see how many of you have been here longer than me. Hey, the guy in the sound booth, Doug, there's some people around that have been here longer than me, okay? Very, very few, right? This is my church. This has been my church. This is our home church. God's called us here for a reason. I believe that God has called us here. I believe God wants us to finish our ministry here. This is our deal. My marriage is strong. Our leadership is strong. We are in on this. We're ready to do the cannonball, just like Lonnie. Lonnie's been here for 16 years. Our staff has been around for a really, really long time, and we're secure in this. And you know what? The more I look at it, the more I realize this is where God wants me to be. I told you last week, within a 10-mile radius, there's a million people of our two campuses how many of you drive 30 minutes or more? Let me see your hand. Okay, look at that. That's a lot of crazy, nutty people. 30 minutes or more. Do you know how many people there are within a 30-minute drive time? We looked that up this week. Four million. Four million people. Now, I don't expect that Parkview is going to minister to all those people. There are a lot of other great churches out there, and people don't need to come to church to find Jesus, for crying out loud. I get that. But the, the opportunity, the fields are wide into the harvest. That's what Jesus said. So uh, I can't imagine why God would want me anywhere else. There's, there's one other thing people bring up a lot, and that is, well, why don't we just give all the money away? I mean, some people are like, why don't we keep all the money and just, you know, build our stuff? And some people are like, why don't we give all the money away? Which is why we're doing both, okay? Please understand that. We are doing both. I got this note from the pediatric oncology treasure chest. I didn't even know this happened. They said, thank you for supporting the Parkview Motorcycle Club's idea to host a fundraiser. You're welcome. I had no idea it went on. I'm supporting you, Motorcycle Club. They raised $1,685 for children and teens fighting cancer. <laughs> Listen to what she said. 
She said, when I think of not-for-profits, I think of everyone trying to keep their own ship afloat. Parkview Christian Church is so unique in that you give to others. That's exactly right. That's exactly who we're going to be. That's why we're going to be generous so that we can share with those who have a need. As a matter of fact, as I was working on this this week, Bill and I and Wayne and I were talking about it. You know, we've got money in our benevolence fund that uh, that people have given. And we thought, you know, it's kind of dumb for that to be sitting around much longer. Um, So if you're a single parent here today, if you're if you're a single mom or a single dad who's got kids at home at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to come down. And if you're in the balcony, maybe take those stairs and come down and we're going to do a mass prayer over you and we're going to give you something. Okay, if you're a single mom or a single dad with kids at home, you just come forward, no strings attached. And we're going to pray over you down here at the end of the service. And we're going to give you something because that's what this church is going to be about. Anything that comes in is going to go out and we're going to make sure that that happens. That's what's going to happen. Yes, we're going to do both. Yeah, we need more building. Yeah, we need more space. We're going to have to do more things. That makes sense. Okay. But, but we're got to do people back in 1997, you know, here's what they'd say to me. They say, well, you, you raised a million dollars for new property. We should just give that million dollars away. Do you know what would have happened if we would have given that million dollars away? You wouldn't be here. I mean, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be this, there wouldn't be anything here. And do you know that we give over a million dollars away every year now because of that, that we'll give $3 million away over the next two years to missions and to people in need. That's what we're going to do around here because sometimes you've got to be able to expand and do the things that ministry that's going on. We gave 13,000 pairs of shoes last year. We gave eight plus tons of food to the food pantry. We had 800 kids in the slums of Nairobi. We had 2,500 opportunities for people to go on short-term mission trips all all around in local area things that went on. That's what happens as you grow. And you're going to need more building and you're going to need to be able to give more. I believe as much in the ministry in Nairobi as I do here. I believe my neighbors and your neighbors need Jesus. And I believe those kids need that gate to come down. Listen to me. I love philanthropy. I want to cure breast cancer and AIDS and wipe out world hunger and all those things. But the church is in the business of eternal salvation. Okay? That's number one. That's the number one priority. Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I'm a soul man. Okay? Imagine you could take a a leap in time back to uh, Southampton, England in uh, mid-April 1912, and you were hanging around as people were getting ready to take off on the maiden voyage of the Titanic. You were transported back in time, and you knew that it was going to go down, and you were able to go back. What would you do? You, you would go running around to everybody that you knew, say, don't, please don't get on this ship. Don't get on this ship. This is going to go down. And what would they say to you? They would say, oh, you're crazy. They quoted, they, the quote for the Titanic was, even God can't sink this ship. They'd get on the boat. So what would your next move be? My next move would be to rent the biggest boat I could possibly rent. I would sell everything. I would do whatever I possibly could to get the biggest boat I could to follow that boat out into the ocean, out next to that iceberg, so that I would be there when what I knew was going to happen was going to happen. Friends, the reason that we exist as a church is because the world's going down. And we have the only hope. And that's what we're here for. If it's true that man's sin has separated him from God for eternity, then this is the single most important thing that we do. The last thing is, when you see a giant and you're afraid, you trust in the power of God, not man. 
short version of the rest of the story is that um, God said, okay, if you guys are chicken, then don't go into the promised land. You can wander around out here in the desert for 40 years. And then your kids will go into the promised land. And then the people repented. And they said, oh, no, we're sorry. We can do it. Let's go. We'll go do it now. And Moses said, no, no, God's not with you. Don't go this time. And they tried to go in their own power and they got annihilated. Because none of this is going to matter if it's not the power of God. It's got to be God or nothing. They got beaten badly. Forty years later, when God was with them, when it was God's timing, God said, okay, Joshua, I want you to take the people in. They found this fortified city of Jericho. The people walked in and they were like, oh man, what are we going to do? This is a big walled city. How are we going to, how are we going to take this city? And God said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do something crazy. He might do that to you in the next couple of weeks, friends. He might say, I want you to do something crazy. I want you to give something crazy. I want you to give up something crazy. I want you to do something crazy. God said, I want you to march around the wall seven times. What? I mean, can you imagine how stupid they felt? I'm going to march. Some of you are going to feel stupid. Because your family's going to be like, you're going to do what? Yeah, we're going to, we're going to give money to God. What? You're going to march around the city seven times. What good is that going to do? And they marched around it and they blew their trumpets, which had to just add insult to injury. You know, I just, I just imagine the people of Jericho, you know, throwing cows down on them and doing Monty Python stuff and just, you know, having this kind of little battle thing going on and yelling at them and laughing at them. Look, they're marching around in circles. Are you guys insane? You know, what's going on? And then they blew their trumpets. Oh, that was really awesome. And then God went, boom, and knocked all the walls down. That's what God does. I trust in God, not man. Um, we're going to do baptism service next weekend. Uh, we did this a couple years ago and had 743 people do it in one weekend. We're going to have uh, that tub going. We're going to have a low tub. If you've got a fear of water, we're going to have a low one for you. We want to accommodate anything we possibly can. All right? <clears throat> if you've never been baptized by immersion, the place I would encourage you to start trusting God and not man is by jumping in. Jesus said, you're, you're buried into Him and you're raised up a new life in Christ. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you haven't done it, bring some clothes next week and do a cannonball literally with us in baptism. Jesus said, I need to be baptized for all righteousness sake. That's what Jesus got baptized. Everybody in the Bible that got saved got baptized. If you haven't done it, you need to do it. I'm not, you're not going to get saved by it, but you need to do it. You need to follow Him in obedience. And then, if you've done that... <clears throat> I think the next step of obedience for us is to trust God in our finances. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. Those ten spies, they saw the giants and they compared them to themselves and they thought, oh, there's no way we can do this. But the two spies saw the giants and they compared them to God and they said, oh, those giants don't stand a chance. John Orberg wrote it this way. He said, I was walking with a few friends in Newport Beach, California. We went past a bar that, where there was a fight going on, and it actually came out into the street. He said it was like a scene from a Western movie. And, and there was three guys beating up one guy. It was a very unfair fight. And so I decided I needed to jump in and do something about it. He said, but breaking up a drunken brawl is not a strong area of spiritual passion or, or competence for me. But somebody had to do something. He said, however, the thugs looked up at us. In fear, with fear in their eyes, and started to slink away. And he said, it caught me so much by surprise, I almost stopped to ask them why they were running away. But then I turned around and looked behind me. And I saw one of the biggest guys I've ever seen in my life. He was apparently employed as the bouncer of the bar room. And suddenly I gained a great deal of respect for that profession. 
I would guess the man stood about six foot seven and weighed 250 pounds or so with maybe 2% body fat. If Hercules had married Xena, the warrior princess, this would have been their child. We called him Mongo, not to his face. Mongo did not say a word. He just stood there with muscles bulging. He looked as if he hoped they would try to take him on. This barroom fight breaking up was a massive spiritual gift for him. And in that moment, my attitude was transformed. And I said, you better not let us catch you hanging around here again. We were different people, John wrote, because we had a great big Mongo. I was ready to confront with resolve and firmness. I was filled with boldness and confidence. I was released from anxiety and fear. I was ready to serve someone who needed help. Why? Because Mongo was there. I was convinced that I was not alone. In the middle of a barroom brawl was a perfectly safe place for me to be. If I were convinced that Mongo were with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I would have a fundamentally different approach to life. Of course, he's not. I can't go around with Mongo beside me all the time. And it's probably a good thing because I don't need him. I have the one who is greater than Mongo with me at all times. The one who said, take courage. The one who said, I am. The one who said, fear not. And I believe that. And it's part of my creed. And I've committed my life to teaching others about it. Yet all too often, my life does not reflect it. All too often, I shrink back when I should confront. I worry when I could pray. I cling when I should generously share. I stay in the boat when I could walk on water. That's what I believe. I don't know, I don't know what your fears are. I don't know what you're afraid of. You're afraid of jumping in the pool, literally, in baptism. Are you afraid of giving Jesus your heart, period, and trusting Him? Are you afraid of trusting Him with your finances? Are you afraid of trusting Him in your marriage? Are you afraid? I don't know what it is, but I can tell you, in His name, we can change the world. And I believe He is all He says He is. He proves it over and over and over again to me. I have no fear whatsoever standing on this diving board. Whatever it is that God wants me to do, I know that he will see it through. We're going to have communion right now. We're going to give you an opportunity to, to, to just spend some time with Jesus. I mean, we got down to the end. Jesus wasn't so sure he wanted to go down with it either. He had fears in the garden and he said, hey, is there any other way? And God said, no, I want you to do what I'm called you to do. And Jesus said, you know what? Not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross and he gave up his life in the hardest possible way for me. Whenever he asks me for something, all i got to do is come back to this, spot, to this spot and say, okay, there's absolutely nothing I could do to give back to you what you've done for me. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, I believe that you are what you say you are. That's why we're here. I'm not here to make everybody feel good. I'm not here to, to give some kind of opiate to the masses. I, I am here because I believe in the beginning, God created, and man fell, and Jesus died and rose so that we can be free. That's what I believe. And I believe that there are people in this room who may need to just right now open up their hearts to you and say, Jesus, I do accept you as my Lord and Savior. I do want to follow you. I, 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 I've been living my life on my own. I want to live it for you. There are people in this room that need to get baptized next weekend. Lord, help them to... Help them to do it, to jump in. There are people in this room who need to be challenged and to spend some time with you and try to figure out what kind of crazy walking around the wall seven times thing you want them to do. And all of us.
can spend some time right now saying we are very grateful, we are very thankful for what you've given us. This blood and this body so that we could be free. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.